0: Hey everybody! Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and um, as always, looking for my good buddy Seth Robinson. Seth.
1: Hey, hello. I am very glad to have you back. I, you know, I almost cracked He's under right? the pressure of having to introduce the show last time.
0: Yes, I'm still standing. Thank. You. I have to give a big shout out to um, our colleague Amy Corrado for filling in for me last time, and for you for scrambling. I know that came as last minute, but. Um, Yes, I'm alive and well. Still dealing with some issues, but uh, but um, I'm out of the hospital. How's that? That's
1: great. yeah, that's a that's a good thing. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely appreciate Amy stepping in, kind that's of last minute notice. But you know, I think we we limped along in your absence, but it uh, it wasn't the same. It's it's good to have you back. You know, glad to see that you're doing well. I, I know you're. Not completely out of the woods yet, um so hoping that uh, everything goes smoothly from here on out.
0: yeah, thank you very much. And I did watch the episode and and I thought you did more than limp along. so thank you again for uh, for filling in. I appreciate it. hopefully that will not happen again in the history of volley. let's just let's let's hope So today to segue away from that, um we have a guest. so um I'm always excited when we have a guest to join us. um Seth, I think you would like to introduce Gordon? Yeah,
1: definitely. This is going to be kind of a continuation of the discussion we had last time around skills. You know, we were talking about skills specifically around the help desk. Now we're going to broaden that out, I think, and talk about general workforce skills and trends that we're seeing in uh, learning and skills development within organizations. We're going to be talking about a new report that's come out from the research team on workforce mm-hmm. and learning trends. And to help us with the discussion, we have Gordon Pelos, uh, who. Uh, used to be uh, chairman of the board of CompTIA, and now he's joined our happy family as the senior vice president of employer engagement. And uh, Gordon, I'll let you tell everyone exactly what that means, what you do for your day job.
2: Well, my my day job is to work with employers to help them understand the benefits of skills. And um, during the exciting times that we're in, the talent war, um, the challenge. For employers to fill their vacancies and uh, to find candidates with skills has become a greater challenge than ever. So it's a perfect time for me to be in this role and helping employers fill those positions and to understand the benefits of uh, skilled-based recruiting.
1: Yeah, awesome. I'm I'm really excited to get some of your insights here um, as we talk about this, because I, I think they're is a lot of noise in the, the, the skills and the workforce and the hiring you know, space, you know, and, and what companies are dealing with. Uh, and, and I think some of that noise is pointing to some, some real things and some of it might be um, kind of getting in the way of some of the real discussions. And, and I think that there's a lot of challenges that go back a long ways. That have been exacerbated lately uh, and you've probably got pretty good finger on the pulse on those but maybe we could just start you know at a a high level describing like what we see as the supply demand situation now i think this is one of those that has been complicated for a long time i think especially in the tech space if we're talking about jobs in technology um, i think employers for for quite some time have been having a tough time finding the candidates that they would like to get whether that's you know skills or just the raw numbers of candidates for certain positions um so i think that's been out of balance for for some time and i think it continues to be out of balance uh so you know gordon what are what are you seeing there just real generally with supply and demand
2: well tech unemployment is at record lows you know somewhere between 1.5 and 1.8% which is unbelievable uh, it's remarkably low at the same time, we see record demand. We uh we have high churn in the industry, we've got the great resignation underway uh and not slowing down. So um it's it's a real difficult time for employers. And and they, the challenge is that if you're out there looking for that unicorn, if you're looking for that perfect candidate, uh they're very, very difficult to find. And um, you know, this, this spirals um if, if you if you really are looking for that perfect person you can either wait a long long time or pay double or triple market rate in order to attract that person so it's it's a it's a unique time in the market
0: yeah um- when you think about the churn and the things that have been going on with the you know, Great Resignation and people being, uh, at least employees being a lot more uh, demanding about the types of work environments that they want to work in, they're very picky, uh, a lot pickier. You know, when you but to get back to the the issue of churn, um, how much of you, how much of that are you seeing that's going in between companies, and how much of that are is is people truly leaving the workforce, and how do you combat the former, you know, moving between companies? Is it really creating a better environment for those employees? Is it all about pay? You know, what are some of the key things to hold on to people? And what can you possibly do about people that are just simply leaving the workforce?
2: Yeah, and, and you know, to be candid, there aren't a lot of people just simply leaving the workforce. There's a great, I call it a reshuffle, not just the, oh, uh, right. you know, the the movement of people from employed to unemployed they 're changing employers they're they 're moving to a uh, gig worker in uh, situation as well, so we 're seeing a shift, but the majority of people are just changing jobs and they're they they 're going to where the grass is greener so employers are having to become much more creative um, in order to attract talent they need to understand they 're having to listen to the candidates around the cultural fit around um, the things that uh, candidates are looking for today, which is You know, flexible work environment, uh, flex hours, um, some soft benefits, things like gym memberships, all these things are value adds that candidates are looking for. So it's not just the money. The money is, uh, I think, a measurement stick for a lot of people, but it's all these other things that enhance lifestyle, including um, remote work, where where people have the ability to uh, work wherever they'd like. Um, have uh, the ability to um, sell their home in the big city and move to that small community that perhaps they grew up in. Uh, that's becoming the norm. We're seeing a lot of these things be value adds that are differentiating companies that have that flexibility for for the for the candidates.
0: And does that differ by industry? It would seem that if you work in literal tech industry, they already the, the most of the industry already provided a lot of those perks for their employees and that sort of flexibility. But then in more of a traditional industry like manufacturing or or, mm-hmm. uh, or healthcare, even those um, those those flexible options really didn't exist for a lot of employees before. And I can imagine industry by industry, um, it's more challenging for some than for others.
2: Absolutely. And and some of the some of the, you know, healthcare, um, if you're in a delivery role, absolutely, you have your job is on site. Uh, in manufacturing, if you're in, in, in a production role, your job is on site. But a lot of the support functions don't yeah. need to be on site. And those jobs are now being moved to um, flex work, uh, remote work, people being able to deliver uh, remotely. And so that's what we're seeing. Uh, as well, is, is employers becoming much more creative, so not only by sector, but by job function within that sector.
1: Yeah, I think all of these factors that you're talking about, Gordon, and, and the, the changing demands around employee experience, which we've touched on before with James Stanger, it was discussed the, mm-hmm. the, a little bit in uh, this new report that we're going to link to, I think all of that is mixing together to make something really interesting. You know, all of us here have already kind of referenced the great resignation and Gordon, you kind of indicated that it's not so much a resignation. And I think almost everyone agrees that great resignation is a bit of a misnomer, but it's still the label that sticks. And it's it's the first three words in this research report. And, and part of the reason that it's a bit of a misnomer is that there are different segments of the workforce. So I think among existing knowledge workers, There's quite a bit more um, demands around employee experience and desire for remote work or flexible work arrangements, uh, thoughts around work-life balance. But at the same time, one huge element of the, the, the workforce dynamics over the past two years have been workers in... Uh, jobs that are not existing knowledge worker or technical jobs uh, and, and wanting to take you know, maybe some stimulus or maybe some change in their situation and try to move out of you know the warehouse job or the hospitality job or whatever they're in, and get into something that would be maybe a little bit better paying, uh, maybe something like a technology job. And those people might be coming in without all of these demands and thoughts around employee experience they might be thinking as long as I can get out of the warehouse I'll come into the office you know every day it doesn't matter to me (laughs) and so if you're an employer you might be looking at this and thinking like well I've got some of my employees that you know I've had for a while and they're really skilled at their job and they've got certain demands but I've also got you know people maybe coming in that wouldn't force me to change my my culture my thoughts that much and I wonder how much it's left them kind of wondering exactly what to do and, and maybe asking themselves how they want to set their culture. Uh, so are, are you seeing some of those tensions uh, among employers, Gordon?
2: Well, absolutely, and it, you, you know, great example is Amazon uh, who was for some time um, building an exit plan for warehouse workers or some specific segments of employee and uh, they found it um, beneficial to retrain those, repurpose those workers, rather than to exit them and bring in something new that didn't fit their culture, didn't understand their the, the way they operate. And so we're seeing a number of companies do that. I was talking to a lady uh, fairly recently from a large IT company, I won't mention the company's name um, for fear of <laughs> embarrassing somebody, but. Um, She was indicating that they are reaching out to either people that were were workforce reduced, downsized, or uh, moved into early retirement previously, Mm -hmm. and they're rehiring those people. Uh, They understand the company, they understand the culture, they fit, they're just happy to have a job, they might be in their mid-50s, they could work another 10 years, um, and and those people are filling a void that um, they're having trouble filling today. And so uh, companies are doing various things, and it's it, it's really creative to see what some of them are doing in order to fill the void that that exists. Um, and and the answer is no one silver bullet. There's multiple things that people are doing, and you can combine them um, to create a um, a strategy. Um, I wouldn't suggest any one of them, but several of them combined is is quite uh, valuable because. You know, if you hire some early career people with skills and, and uh, uh, no experience, you need to take those people and put them with somebody to be mentored, and and, um, and and this gives them the opportunity to do that.
1: Yeah, and just to finish off that thought, you know, you mentioned there's no one silver bullet. I think one of the <laughs> reasons for that is I don't think there's one a uh, consistent problem from employer to employer. I know I've yeah. talked to some CIOs or, or some upper level managers at uh, employers where they're not really worried about retention. You know, they're not seeing churn in their workforce. They they, they see the stories. They know that it's happening mm-hmm. out there, but they are not seeing it themselves. And so, you know, they wonder, is it coming for us or are we doing okay mm-hmm you know, what does that mean? Do we have to change our culture to try to prevent this thing? Or do we have the culture that fits our current workforce? And so I think that there, there isn't a single defining problem out there. And, and I think that's part of the problem with this great resignation label is that it tries to reduce it down to something simple. Right. Um, and Um, And especially for the past two years, there's just not something simple out there when it comes to workforce issues and hiring and training and retaining talent. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think the key thing is if, if an employer is listening to their employees, if they care about their employees and if they're uh, attentive, um, they're probably in that category of not having a problem. Yeah. It's the employers that have, have ignored the feedback that don't have ERGs, that don't have um, listening posts and they, um, just assume everything's fine. Um, they're the ones that are, are having the problem. Um, the progressive employers that have have paid attention, listened, um, supported the employees. <clears throat> they're, they're they're doing well. And so what I'm talking about is you know when you hire a, a new employee and you onboard them, you need a process to um, nurture that employee. So whether it's a mentoring program, it's a some kind of an ongoing program to assist that employee with the remote work. These things are very, very challenging for employers. In the old days, we used to bring the new employee into the office, Um, they would have a cubicle that would be close to another employee and you could keep an eye on them, you could walk by every day and see how they were doing. It's much more difficult in in this new environment. And this is where employers have had to evolve their programs, they had to pay extra attention, they had to invest. And the ones that have, are seeing the fruits of that investment, and the ones that haven't are seeing high churn because these young young people come in, they feel abandoned, uh, they stay three months, six months, and they're back on the uh, job search again.
0: So I, I'd like to pivot a little bit to um, some of the new recruitment tra- tactics that companies are, are using to make themselves look palatable to a potential employees. Um, Whether that is, we talk a lot about, you know, getting rid of the four-year degree requirement, you know, um, doing a lot of on-the-job training, you know, bringing people in who may not have, you know, who are at the 70% of the 100, you know, and you got to get them to the, you give them the 30% in training uh, on the job. Um, all of those sort of creative ways to uh, broaden the pool of applicants for yourself, right? So you want to make it a bigger pool and and not make it so narrow in terms of what you're asking for or such a high bar that you're, of what you're asking for in a job posting that people just don't feel like they're going to be a right fit and they don't apply. What are some of the things that you're seeing employers try to do on the creativity side to broaden that recruitment process and make it um, a bigger tent for people to come in?
2: Yeah, there, there's a number of things. One of the first thing is, um, you know, the, the, the job posting itself, um, scaling back the list of requirements to the absolute must-haves, um, being much more open-minded, um, you know, do you want that unicorn out there that has the four-year degree that has the five years of experience on the specific application that's only been around for five years or, um, you know, Things like that you can get very, very unique and into um, a position where you've you've made it very challenging um, wh- what what we're seeing is that the successful employers are opening these job postings up with very few specific demands like that, and instead looking for potential, looking for candidates that have ambition, desire, willingness, ability to learn, and then, as you said, augmenting that once they they bring them in so um we're seeing a, a shift from the that black and white um job posting that said here are all the must haves to something that's more um skill based and um uh, desire based so we're looking for somebody with potential that that and 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 it becomes a challenge for an employer because you have to change your behavioral interviewing process to something that's more um forward looking and looking at, at these candidates and saying, okay, is this a person that can learn? How have they demonstrated that? Uh, do they have, what are their ambitions? Are, are they gonna be satisfied here? Are we? Are they gonna fit our culture? And we're so, we're seeing that big shift. So, um, you know, a significant number of employers have made this shift from a degree requirement to a skills-based requirement. Um, and we're seeing, you know, something in the neighborhood of about 50% right now um, in our survey are indicating um, a shift from degree to skills and another 30 to 40 percent that are indicating they're leaning that way. Uh, so um, I think we're making progress in that space. And it, it's a very positive progress because um, I believe that uh, the skilled base hiring and looking for people with potential is the way to go.
0: It's got to be tricky on the vetting process side of things, though, because so many larger employers today are using at the very beginning stages of recruitment. They're using an algorithm to you know, yeah. s- sort resumes, essentially, and they're looking for keywords and key things that those candidates have. So I've got to imagine that this is it's just a complete re-architecting of how you do this. Yeah. yeah and, and that's, and- that's
1: exactly what I was thinking too, Carolyn. I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt Gordon, but just yes. I was about to ask you, Gordon, like how much resource and effort is involved yeah. in this transition? Because I think these companies that are dropping the four-year degree requirement, kind of like you've said, Gordon, they're not dropping the requirement for the expertise that they want to bring into this role. They're just changing what that looks like. And if you move away from a very well-known quantity, like a four-year college degree that not only gives you technical skill, but I think it gives some indication of some of these durable skills that we talk about so much. So now you have to build out a, a new way of looking at things and a new way of understanding what a candidate might be bringing in. And I'm, I'm guessing that that's kind of resource intensive. Yeah. It's kind of the Carolyn's question. And, and so that yeah. might not be something that like every SMB out there can just drop a four year degree requirement yeah. and then suddenly be saying, we're looking for these skills.
2: Yeah, it, it is challenging, uh, but it is required. So back to your your initial point, Uh, one of the things I I coach a lot of employers on is beware of your AI. What you're doing to filter at the beginning of the process, um, you you often have bias, whether intended or or not, you have bias in that process that are filtering out all the non-degree holders, that are filtering out um, certain segments of of the, the applicants, so beware of that, because uh, that, that's a challenge. Um, secondly, um, a well-known company announced a few years ago that they had dropped their, um, their uh, degree requirement. Uh, I interviewed an executive from that uh, organization about two months ago as part of another um, uh, undertaking that I was working on. And he said he hadn't hired a person without a degree ever, and he didn't intend to change. And I said, "Well, what about your policy?" And he said, "I don't care. I'm, I'm hiring um, this w- using this standard because I believe it makes my life easier in the future." And, um, and, and what it reinforced was the effort required. He didn't want to put into um, that interview process, which right. was determining whether the person had the ambition, the skill, um, the the desire. He wanted the degree to provide that as an assumption, Um, I assume he has those skills because he spent four years at university. And and, and so it is hard work and companies have to transform and it requires a cultural shift from the top down. So unless you've got the leadership, not only saying it, but then reinforcing it all the way down, providing training to those managers to ensure that they know how to interview, how to hire, uh, how to onboard, how to make those new people feel comfortable, um, it will all come apart. So it's, it's a system and the system has to all be interconnected and supported from the leadership down. Hmm.
1: There's so much that we could keep digging into <laughs> here, uh, but we're we're getting close to on time. And, and as we wrap up, uh, the, the thing that's coming to my mind that, that I kind of saw as a common thread running through our report and I'm starting to see as a common thread running through a lot of these discussions is the, the quantification of skills, like how do you define these skills that you're looking for? How do you understand if a candidate is bringing them in, whether that's from a four-year degree program or some other pathway? Once mm-hmm. they're in, how do you measure their level of skill? Uh, and, and this this whole question around defining and quantifying skills, I just see popping up all over the place. You know, including some mm-hmm. of these discussions that I think we're having around. Um, putting credentials or something like that on a blockchain. I think everyone agrees that sounds really nice, but it, you start to get down to this nitty gritty of like, if you're putting skills on the blockchain, what skills are they? How are we defining those? How are we agreeing what they are? How are mm-hmm. we measuring that? That seems to be a, a great unknown. And and Gordon, you know, even from some of the things that you were saying early on, I was kind of thinking of this and wondering what you see companies wrestling with because, it seems like like you've been talking about that quantification of skills is actually quite a bit of hard work. And so mm-hmm. many companies have existing processes that are kind of sort of working for them. Um, so how, how willing are they to really dig in and start quantifying these things and move towards uh, a, a process that's working better for everyone?
2: Well, I think it's, it is hard work and I think it is challenging, but at the same time, we recognize that only about 30% of the American population has a university degree and working population. And, and therefore, um, you've got 70% of the population out there that are able and willing to fill a job. Um, how do we access that 70% of the population if we don't put that effort in? So uh, I think the, the, the onus is on the employers to figure out how to do it. Um, there, there are assessments, there are various ways to uh, validate uh, credentials. Um, organizations like CompTIA have a, a very good process um, uh, with, along with our credentials. Um, and, and many other organizations do as well. Um, right now, what doesn't exist is a, a numerator. Um, you know, something that's common amongst the various uh, credentials that, that are out there. Uh, and, and so I think that you know there are a number of organizations working on this problem right at the moment, and I'm hopeful that we're going to see a breakthrough uh, where we get some consensus on a numerator, and there's a value placed on some of these things that this certification is 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 validated and 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 worth this, and this other uh, credential, micro credential or whatever is worth that um, in some common. Um, evaluated criteria. Um, I I, I see it coming. It's just a matter of um, people wanting to put the effort in and and coming up with a solution. And I believe that, you know, as we see uh, a continued war on talent, um, there is more and more uh, uh, reason for people to invest the time and effort to do this.
0: Well, it sure sounds like there are plenty of people out there either with the skills already or with the potential to skill up and that a lot of the, as you said, the onus is on the employer figure out the way, right ways to find them and the right ways to um, make you make their environments inclusive to hold on to these people once they do hire them. So mm-hmm. uh, plenty of work to do in the years ahead, but um, I don't see the skills issue going away. I'm sure neither of you do as well um, for the foreseeable future. So I'm sure we'll be back talking about this uh, in the in the future. But Gordon, thank you so much Great. for joining us today. We really
2: appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure yeah yeah we really appreciate you
1: joining us and thanks as always to our producer andrea mcmillan and again we'll have the link to this report in the show notes Uh, a lot of good information in there touching on all of these different facets that we've talked about and uh, and a few more so please uh, download that and and check it out and carolyn i will talk to you next time talk to you next time thanks